Amen. Well, it's good to see everyone this morning. Those of you online, welcome. Before we dive in, I want to share with you one last time, very specifically, uh, this will come again a number of times, but uh, prior to March of 2020, uh, most people believe that uh, the majority of folks who were engaged in the life of the church came every other week. Since 2020, uh, those numbers are out the window. And so what we've kind of discovered is a third of the people come a third of the time. So if I'm going to communicate something to you, it means I need to say it nine times in hopes to get most of you. I've said some things 50 times, and there's still folks that don't get it. So I'm going to say something for the third time in hopes that we get most everybody. Uh, and I, I want to share with you again, you've heard it before. If you've been here uh, before, you've, you've heard this first part. It's our vision statement. Uh, it's, it's why we do what we do as a church. It's our goal to see this happen uh, with you and, and in our community. Uh, our vision uh, over these next, uh, well, was seven years. Uh, now it's four years uh, left to go uh, on this vision to prepare and send uh, disciple-making missionaries. Disciple-making missionaries are you and me, people who want to draw close to Jesus, uh, to learn from him, and to go out and replicate his life in our life and the life of others. We want to make disciples. And so in order to do that, we have to be a missionary. We have to be a missionary in our school, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our family, uh, everywhere, both here in the greater Southeast Houston area and our state, our nation, and our world. Uh, we want to be missionaries who go out uh, to strengthen families. Uh, we live particularly in a community built on family uh, that's why we call it the suburbs, uh, because that's where families live in the suburbs. Uh, we want to strengthen families. We want to love our neighbors well. We want to transform the community with the gospel. Uh, some of you are pretty cool. Like people are attracted to you. You're, like, you're, the, you're the man or the woman that everybody wants to be around. But most of us are not that. So the only way we're going to transform anyone is from the gospel. Uh, no matter how cool you are or not so cool, uh, you've got one great thing, the gospel, uh, to bring people transformation uh, and hope. And I'm glad that one person in the crowd loved that, and uh, he gets paid to be here, so I don't know if that counts. Uh, and, but I appreciate it anyway. And, and so that's our vision. That's what we want to see accomplished. And, and so every year uh, around July, sometimes even before, that, we, we start thinking about how are we going to fulfill this? How are we going to carry this out? And by the time we get to August, we've come up with a budget to help us fulfill that vision of seeing neighbors loved well, to see families strengthened, to, to see transformation happen in our community. And so this year, our budget to fund that vision is $1.746 million. And I mentioned last week about our partnership at Landold Elementary and CCISD with mentors. We have a great ministry that we partner with at Westwood and Bales, an after-school program that shares the gospel every week at Westwood and Bales. And now, just this year, at the junior high, Friendswood Junior High, we we have uh, an opportunity once a month to go in with other churches in an after-school program to do that. So part of that funds those things. It, it, it helps us uh, engage uh, people with the gospel. It, it provides things like lights and AC and new roofs on building A. Uh, it helps if you have children over in building B, uh, their goldfish that they're going to get today probably. Like that, 
like things like that matter. Uh, they, they do, and so it helps that, but it also helps us equip people to be sent out on mission. Uh, in a few weeks, we have a group going uh, on a mission trip to Canada, and because of your faithfulness and giving, we're able to subsidize part of that. And so you're a part of this to see the gospel uh, go all across our community, that families would be strengthened and would expand. So it takes about $33,000 a week to make that happen. If you've been giving over the last several years, decades, whatever, thank you. Uh, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for you and your faithfulness in giving. If you're new to this place or, or you haven't had a, a, a great track record of giving to the Lord, and that's what it is, you're not giving to this place, uh, you're giving as an act of worship. That's what Giving financially is an act of worship. Uh, I would encourage you to start somewhere. Start with something and start regularly. Uh, make it a habit. Uh, we make it so simple these days. You can do that online and we can just make it happen. But, but make that a part of your worship experience to give, to give something and see how God is faithful to you through that as you respond to his faithfulness. And so uh, that's where we're headed this year uh, from September to August. I'm excited about what God's doing. Uh, our student ministry just got back from a big planning day. They're looking at what's happening over this next year and, and really working that and talking about camp even next year. Uh, our men's ministry launched in an amazing way uh, last weekend. And, and if you're not involved in one of our Sunday school classes that meets before this, uh, then I would invite you to come early one day and say, hey, I want to get in a group uh, that helps me grow closer to one another and closer to Jesus. So I, I'm excited about what God's doing in the life of our church. And today, uh, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 4, and we're going to talk about uh, war, we're going to talk about family, we're going to talk about death, and we're going to talk about birth. So like all kinds of crazy subjects today. Uh, but if you were here over the last few weeks, uh, you know that Samuel, who was this young man, his mom, who couldn't have children, prayed for him, prayed that he would be born, that she would have a son. God answered her prayer. Samuel is born. She dedicates Samuel to the Lord and gives him to the priest, Eli. Eli is serving in the temple at Shiloh uh, in this town, the place of worship, and, and he raises uh, Samuel. Uh, Eli also has two sons of his own who are terrible dudes. They're the worst. Uh, they, they work in the church. Uh, they're they're Servants of the priest in the temple, uh, but, but they are sinful people. And, and their sinful activity has caused great dismay for the nation of Israel. Uh, God is going to judge them, uh, judge Eli's family uh, because of their sin. And, and, and so he's going to raise up Samuel in their place. It's Samuel will be the new prophet and priest for all the nation. And God promises that Samuel, everything that he says uh, will, will be true. Like none of his words will fall to the ground. Uh, the scripture says we looked at last week that, that Eli is going to be a man of truth and, and be able to lead Israel. And so we're going to pick up the story, the account, the history of, of Israel in this time uh, in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, beginning in verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So he's now speaking to all of Israel on behalf of the Lord. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Afka. Uh, Aphek, excuse me. You know, that's my Texan getting him in the way. Uh, the Philistines drew up in line against Israel. 
And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the troops came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. I'm going to stop right there for a minute. So Samuel is speaking to the nation of Israel, and they make this great decision uh, to go into battle with the Philistines. Most scholars believe that Israel actually initiated this battle, this war, this conflict. And and this, this battle, the Philistines are the arch enemy of the Israel, Israelites. It's, it, it makes like A&M, Texas, Army, Navy, Florida, Florida State, those rivalries look like child's play. This is, this is a, like an eternal war against these two nations. They, they don't like each other. They're enemies. The Philistines are enemies of God. If you remember Samson, right, he's the one that slayed all these guys. Like, they hate the Philistines. And so they've gone to battle with the Philistines and they lose. They lose. They lose 4,000 men. 4,000 of their soldiers die. They all go back to their camp at Ebenezer and they're licking their wounds. They're caring for the dead. And they're like, what in the world happened? It's interesting to me in this return to their camp, they don't talk about strategy. They don't talk about battle plans. They don't talk about their enemy's numbers. No, they ask an important question. Why did the Lord defeat us? Hmm. Who do you blame when things don't go right? Right? They went to the top. They they didn't go like, oh, the general messed up. Those soldiers, boy, those guys are weak. No, they, they went straight to the top. At least they were asking the right question. They, they were blaming God, but at least they were asking the right question. Why did God allow this to happen? How could we, the people of Israel, God's chosen nation, how could we lose? Surely we wouldn't have lost, but they did. We've got an idea. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of the Lord, and they knew that. But in this instance, it's as if the Israelites thought, hmm, if the Ark is with us, we're all good. Kind of like God's good luck charm for them. Like as long as the Ark is near me, we're going to be safe. So let's go get the Ark, twist God's arm into protecting us because we've made a mess of this. Now, The Ark of the Covenant, if you look back earlier in the Old Testament, on at least two occasions, the presence of the Ark of the Covenant led to Israel's victory. So so there was some history there that they could lean on and say, oh, you remember these two times when we brought the Ark of the Covenant? We won. 
We had God on our side and we couldn't be defeated. And so here they are again. Well, let's just, you know, same, same song, third verse. Let's bring God in, twist his arm to helping us because we want to defeat our arch nemesis, the Philistines. The only problem with that mentality is they, they forgot one simple thing. And it's actually mentioned in the scripture, but most of us would just sort of fly right by it. It's the very last phrase of chapter 4. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember from last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, as I said just a few minutes ago, are terrible dudes. They're the worst. Like, they, they are bad. They're, they're so bad that they're like, they, they steal people's food. They, they participate in sexual immorality with people who are designed to serve the Lord. They, they are terrible people. And here they are in the presence of God. And everyone just sort of writes it off like no big deal. These men of sin connected to the Ark of the Covenant. Israel missed one very big, simple thing. They wanted God to change their circumstances. They didn't want God to look at their heart. And we're guilty of the same thing sometimes. We want God to change our circumstances, but we don't want him to examine our heart. And the nation of Israel was in a spot where they were not in tune with God. They had made a mockery of worship. They had gone out on their own. The word of Samuel had come to all, and it's as if that didn't even matter. They just went and did their own thing. And then they wanted to use God as a, as a good luck charm to try to get them out of jail for free. They missed it. And sometimes when you and I find ourselves in circumstances, we're looking for every way out except looking at ourselves. Israel missed it. Hophni and Phinehas, they had missed it long ago. And it wasn't so much that, that Israel was sort of worshiping the ark itself and thought, okay, if we just sort of bow down to the ark, it, it wasn't about that. It, it, they, they understood that the ark was more than just uh, uh, gold and wood and, and this beautiful peace. They, they understood it was the presence of God. They knew that it was symbolic of protection and victory. But what they had missed is the holiness of the ark, the holiness of God. The, the reverence and the awe in which they should approach the presence of God. They, they dismissed it. They had ignored it. And they had dismissed their own sin pretty easily. Like we, we have a, like a, a rap sheet for Eli, for Hophnius and Phineas, Hophni and Phineas. We have a rap sheet of their sin, and here they are just hanging out. No consequence, no nothing. 
And so it's a reminder to me that, that when I easily dismiss the sin of my own sin, it, it's going to hinder my relationship with God. It, it's going to hinder my ability to carry out his plan for my life when I easily dismiss sin. Hey, have you ever had one of those moments when you said or did something and someone who is either far from God or has no idea what God is about, they correct you? Like they're more spiritual than you in that moment. It's happened to me a number of times where I've popped off about something, somebody did something and I popped off and I'm with a group of people and they're like, huh, pastor, tell us how you really think. Oh, uh, well, you know, I know none of you have ever done that because you're perfect. But, but the amazing part of this story, and, and we're not going to read all the fine detail because it continues over in chapter 5, is the Philistines, this pagan nation, had more reverence, more respect, more awe for the Ark of the Covenant than the nation of Israel did. Like the people that the Ark is for cared less about the Ark than the enemy, the pagan when it gets into camp, when, when they bring it from Shiloh and they get it into camp, everyone, all the army celebrates and they're excited. Well, the Philistines hear it and they get nervous. They're scared because they know the history. We're not good at history these days, but they were great at it. They remembered over 300 years before that, that ark had saved the people of Israel. Time and time and time again throughout Israel's history. They knew they were in trouble because that was the presence of their God. And for the Philistines, that was little G God. For us, it was big G God. They knew it. And so they gathered around and said, men, it's time to step up. These are the Philistines. It's time to step up. They've got their God on their side. And so we better come ready. We're going to bring it. And they did bring it. And they defeated the Israelites again for a second time. And 30,000 soldiers died. 30,000. Those that were left ran to their house. That would be a crazy scene today, right? Like what if there was a battle taking place on I-45 like with rocks and sticks and stuff. And everybody sort of ran into Friendswood. That would be so weird. But that's what happened. Like, that's the scene here. They're in the battlefield. They're getting destroyed. And so everyone runs. And it's a long way to their house. They run. And 30,000 men died. You add that to the 4,000 that died in the previous battle, 34,000 men. Do you know what that's equivalent to? We just sort of hear that number. Ah, that would be as if every man in League City died. Hmm, that's nothing to sneeze at, is it? That would be as if every junior high and up person in Friendswood died. Sin matters, doesn't it? It matters. We go running headlong into life as if we've got God in our back pocket and we miss it because we don't want God to examine our heart. We're too busy, focused on our own agenda. 
And the Philistines defeated the nation of Israel. And they capture the ark. And if you got some fun time this week, I'd encourage you to read chapter 5. Because the Philistines won the battle, but they lost the war. (laughs) Because they got that ark, and everywhere they took it, plague and death followed them. (laughs) And so they just passed it from city to city to city, and everywhere it went, people died and got sick and terrible. And so, so much so that they said, Israel, here you go, have it back. God doesn't mess around. But I'm thankful that he has grace for you and me. And we look at this scene and we see how the the sin of the nation of Israel caused them great defeat. And, And how they ignored their sin over and over and over again. And how God judges them for it. And God judges sin, he does, but I'm grateful that we also have the presence of the Lord today. It's not in an ark, it's not in an object, no, it's in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful that because of him, my sin is not counted against me. That that my sin and my failure is not counted against me because of his death on the cross. Because he died to pay the penalty of my sin. And I've placed my faith in him and my trust in him alone because he defeated death. He defeated sin when he was raised on the third day. And so though I look at Israel and I think about their sin and I understand fully that God takes sin very seriously, so seriously that he sent his son to die for it. He gave up his own son to pay the penalty of sin so that you and I wouldn't have to pay the penalty. That's how much God loves us. That's how much he desires relationship with us. He wanted his people, the nation of Israel, to love him, to honor him, to worship him, to show reverence for him, and they dismissed him. No different than we do sometimes. But I'm grateful for the power of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And so though the Philistines defeated them that day, so that because they experienced loss and consequence to their sin, God still wasn't through with them. I want us to pick up the story in verse 12, because after the battle takes place, there are these great losses. Everyone is gone. Uh, Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, both die on the same day, just as it was predicted. They die on the same day. Everyone's running back to their house where there's a young man who's running ahead to tell the nation of Israel. It's 20 miles away. The battlefield is 20 miles away from Shiloh. For us, that's, oh, a big deal. These guys, this guy ran it in a hilly, mountainous region in one day. He ran 20 miles over the mountains so that he could tell the people of Israel what happened. Look at verse 12. And a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. That's a sign of mourning. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. Eli still had a heart for God. 
And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is the uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate. And his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. This is a sad story right here. Eli's eagerly waiting news from the battlefield because he knows the ark is there. And my only assumption is that he believed the ark was with the, with the, bat, with the warriors, that they would win. But they didn't. And so this young man runs back 20 miles, gets to the city. Everyone is in an uproar. He finally gets to Eli, who is blind. He's a big guy, uh, as it says there. He's heavy. He's a big guy. Can't see. He has a conversation. And the messenger tells him four things that happened on the battlefield. Of increase, and each of them increase in importance. One, Israel fled. They scattered. They were defeated. The men of Israel were defeated in battle. Those are both pretty bad. But the third piece of news is terrible. Your two sons have both died on the same day. And then the fourth one, the ark of God has been captured. Now those first two things are terrible, bad news. That third one is the worst. I don't care if you're 98 or 38. If you have a child who dies, it's, it's gut-wrenching. It's, it's heartbreaking. There's no recovery. I, I think about our boys, and I get choked up even just talking about it. Like if our boys were to die. Like that... No parent wants to experience that. No one wants to hear that news. And then the man says, the ark of God has been captured. And so I don't know if that last piece of news was the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know if it was a culmination of all four of those ideas, but it was too much for Eli to handle in his old age. And he falls over backwards and breaks his neck and he dies. And then there's one little line. Eli judged Israel 40 years. 40 years of ministry. But no one remembers Eli for 40 years of ministry. No one does. We remember Eli for two things, if you remember him at all. One, he's the priest who Hannah gave Samuel to. Like, we remember him because of Hannah and Samuel, not because of him. And the other thing we remember him for is his two terrible sons. That, that's his legacy. He happened to be the priest when this great woman of faith came and brought her son. And his two sons were terrible leaders, full of sin. This is a 
good reminder for all of us that your family legacy is a lot more important than your professional legacy. How you handle your family matters a lot more than how well you do your job. And Eli, though he was a great man of faith, his legacy is tainted because he didn't lead his sons well. And so if you're a parent here today, I, I, I want to challenge you. I want to I admonish you. Lead your family well. Lead your family well. So that will be your legacy. Because the tragedy for Eli's family doesn't end with his son's death and his death. Phineas, one of the sons who was with the Ark of the Covenant out of the battlefield, his wife is pregnant. And this tragedy, this heartache of her husband dying, scholars believe, sends her into premature labor. And so she is giving birth, and while she's giving birth, her own health is declining. So she's dying during childbirth. And in the midst of that, the, the nurses try to encourage her, try to, try to boost her spirits and say, it's okay, you've born a son, so the lineage will continue. You've born a son. Well, that doesn't help her because she realizes on her dying, in her dying breath that God is punishing the nation of Israel and her family specifically. Let's pick it up at the end of this chapter. In verse 21, the child is being born, it's a boy, and she, Phineas' wife, names the child Ichabod. You got any friends named Ichabod? <laughs> I pray not. I hope not. Phineas, like Phineas is famous for two reasons, right? Uh, around the world in 80 days, and <laughs> Phineas and Ferb, right? The greatest cartoon ever. Um, Right, and Phineas in the cartoon is maybe a little bit like this, like a troublemaker, the smart kid. But, but nobody has a friend named Ichabod. Nobody. Because, here's what it says. The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured Ichabod means the glory of God has departed. It's the I in Ichabod means away. And more specifically, that word glory can also be used as the word honor. The honor of Eli's family is gone. The honor for the nation of Israel has departed because of the sin of the people. And so this woman dying in childbirth reflects on the gravity of the sin of her nation. That because of their sin, in her mind, God is gone. Because of the sin of her own family, God is not honored anymore in her family. Not because of his doing, but because of her doing, their doing. 
Now, there's a silver lining in all of this, and this is where we see the grace of God continue throughout Scripture. Eli's family is not gone. God blesses that family with a child, a boy. God doesn't forsake the family of Eli. God doesn't forsake the nation of Israel. Even though she believed that, even though she thought it to be true that God had departed them because the ark was gone, it wasn't true. God never leaves us, never forsakes us. That was true in Deuteronomy, the first time it was recorded, and it's also true in Hebrews, the second time it was recorded. That God doesn't leave us or forsake us. And so though you may look at your own situation, your own circumstances, maybe your own doings in your life, and you say, man, I've made a mess of this. Surely God's departed me. No. God never leaves us or forsakes us. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to, by faith, respond to him and say, Lord, I I must come back. I need to return. Lord, may I honor you as you've honored me. I want to return. I want to come back by faith. I want to put my trust in you and you alone because I have no hope otherwise. In this moment, Phineas' wife had lost hope because as she saw the sin of her people and the sin in her own family. But God doesn't give up on you and me. He's always with us. The question is, are we paying attention to his presence? Are we sensitive to his presence? Because I look at this chapter four and I see the battle that happened, you know, there's war and fighting, there's family dynamic, there's death and mayhem, there's childbirth, which should be a glorious time, but it's still odd. There's this man whose life who we want to honor because he's given 40 years to to serve the people of Israel and to serve the Lord, but there's just a twinge of like, ugh, if only. As I read this whole chapter, it sort of boils down to one simple thing, and, and this is it for us today. My prayer is that you and I would live to bring honor to the Lord and honor to your family. That you would live to bring honor to the Lord and honor to your family in that order. (laughs) Because the order matters. That that I want to live in a way that, that brings honor to the person who died for me, Jesus Christ. One who gave me life eternal, life abundant, a life free from sin I want to bring honor to him. I want to worship him. I I want to demonstrate him to others that I come in contact with. And I want to honor my family. Not not just my biological family, my faith family too. That's the nation of Israel. It was their faith family. There was dishonor all throughout the family. I, I want to honor my biological family, but I want to honor my faith family as well. 
And so as you think about this week, that's the challenge of all this crazy story about going into battle and the Ark of the Covenant and Phineas's wife giving birth, Eli dying. Like, you, I, I, like these are all the fun things I'd like to be there. Like he fell over backwards and hit his, how does that happen? This guy, this 20, 20 mile guy, fast as lightning, great cardio, should be a lesson for all of us. Get out and start walking. Like, like there's tons of little things that, you know, crazy, weird pastors think about in this. But the message is very simple. I, I'm going to live in a way that honors God, and I want to honor my family. Because those are the two most important things I have. The Lord and the people I love and the people who love me. And so let's honor him today by loving him with all of who we are and loving one another as we love ourselves. Let's pray together.